card for Joe and Janet Tavelli and, and just jot a, a note of encouragement, a verse of encouragement, and uh, make sure to get those uh, cards and notes of encouragement to Doug or Karen Holt, either today after church or you can also bring it uh, tonight because I know 100% of you will be at the dinner tonight, right? Okay, let's try that again. I know that 100% of you will be at the dinner tonight. Yeah. Thank you, Spence. You and I will eat together. There we go. Oh, that's even better. That's even better. And uh, would also just um, ask you to be praying uh, for Joe and Jana. Joe heads into surgery tomorrow at 7 a.m. in Harborview and just commit him into the care of the Lord. I want to invite you to open your Bibles this morning, the sword of the Spirit, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. It's hard to believe that 45 weeks ago we began our journey and our excursion through Paul's letters to the church in Ephesus and Lord willing we come to the end of that journey today. Next week we will begin a short series on the doctrine of heaven and I have been greatly anticipating uh, bringing uh, these messages to you. I trust that our time together in the book of Ephesians, and especially Ephesians chapter 6, has been uh, profitable for you. And my prayer is that uh, the book of Ephesians, and especially chapter 6, has opened your eyes to the struggle that each one of us face. In a fallen world, we have learned that we face disaster and doubt and discouragement and depression. And each one of us uh, live in a culture which is plagued literally plagued by spiritual darkness. And the spiritual darkness, along with every form of evil, I should add, will one day be vanquished by the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you looking forward to that day? When Jesus Christ will make all things new. And so we wait patiently for that day when righteousness will dwell on the new earth. But until that day arrives, we will continue to struggle. We've learned together in this series that there is a battle that we face. We've learned that this battle is intense. We've learned that the battle is deeply spiritual. You'll remember Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 where Paul says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We have learned together about the importance for spiritual soldiers, that's you and I if we're following Jesus, to have divine courage. And so Paul writes in Ephesians 6.10, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Scripture commands us to be courageous. The courage is centered on the Lord Jesus Christ, nothing more and nothing less. And this courage, we have learned, is utterly counterintuitive. Why? Because conventional wisdom, because our culture would tell us, hey, take matters in your own hands. You can do it on your own. Rely on your own resources. Rely on your own abilities. Rely on your own personality. Rely on your ingenuity. But the scripture calls us to a higher path, does it not? The Word of God calls us to be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. God not only calls spiritual soldiers to a life of divine courage, but He also calls us to a life that I have referred to as divine enablement. 
We are granted divine enablement, we have learned in Ephesians 6, as we put on not part of the armor, not three-fourths of the armor, not 90% of the armor, but someone help me. We put on the full armor, 100% of the armor, which includes the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. And finally, we take up, as we learned last week, the sword of the Spirit. Faithful followers of Jesus Christ will eagerly, proactively, and obediently put on the full armor of God. And as we put on the full armor of God, we will be protected and equipped for the battle before us. But Paul is not done. And I think you know this. He adds one additional element in these closing, closing verses of Ephesians 6, which proved to be a mighty source of, of strength on the battlefield. He not only tells us to, to take up the sword of the Spirit as, a, as an offensive weapon, he includes an additional offensive weapon, one that is used in tandem with this book, with the sword of the Spirit. And we are called to... Manifest one more thing that I want you to see in Ephesians chapter 6 and have you stand to your feet as we read these verses together. May I remind you in Ephesians 6.17, and we're breaking into the context here that Paul tells us to, to take up the helmet of salvation and to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Notice in verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychius, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love the Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray. Father, what a joy it has been to walk slowly through Paul's letter to the believers in Ephesus. Father, thank you for the last several weeks where we have learned about the importance of putting on the whole armor of God. And as we conclude this morning, and as we learn about this offensive weapon, a weapon that there is so much to learn here. We have so much ground to cover, and we have so many things to, to build into our Christian lives. I pray that today would be a, a very important day for someone, that it would be a very important day for many of us, that we would make new commitments and make new resolutions as we explore this final piece that Paul refers to in Ephesians 6. Lord, we, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for delivering us from the power and the penalty of sin. And as we've often prayed, one day we look forward to the day when we will be delivered from sin's very presence. Remind us of the victory that we enjoy in Christ, both now and in the future. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. What Paul is doing here is he introduces prayer as an offensive weapon. 
You're very familiar this. To me, I was really overwhelmed. I mean, at, uh, at the feeling. And we were always been pretty close, but that actually drew us closer together. And uh, now that I'm associated with the prayer ministry, well, we have opportunity to pray with, with other people quite a bit. And in corporate prayer and just one-on-one uh, -on -one and or groups or whatever. But uh, I find that, that uh, when we get a group of people and pray together, whether it's in the back room or wherever, uh, when you pray together with somebody, uh, it changes things. Just like uh, Judy and I were drawn closer together. Well, just people that you pray with, you're drawn closer together with them also. There's a special bond, like a kindred spirit or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to yeah, explain it. But, but anyway, it's uh, I've, I've just noticed that and really been impressed. And uh, Pastor Steele also said talked about the... Uh, King James prayer. Well, that just intimidated the devil out of me, I'll tell you. And I'm just, uh, and as you know, I'm not a great public speaker anyway, but uh, when it gets to corporate prayer, I had a real, I had to really force myself to <laughs> to do that. And I'm still, I still struggle with it. But uh, but anyway, it's uh, it's all worthwhile. And I just tell anybody out there that if you're not involved, it's, uh, uh, well, I'll go back and change that because uh, we never do pray enough. But uh, but anyway, we're all missing out, me included, on the benefits of prayer because we just don't pray enough. A practical question, Jerry, to, to close with. Um, if there's someone here that would be interested in, in joining the prayer ministry, how would they sign up? How would they get involved? Well, we did have a, a table back out there until uh, you could sign up and uh, uh to like, you could join the prayer team that's back there right now. Anytime uh, there's a bulletin board out here that's got the roster of all of our prayer teams, and uh, you could just approach one of them and say, "I'd like to pray with you this next Sunday when you have the deal," and uh, and I'm sure that uh, you'd be accommodated. And uh, and the other way uh, is if you would like to be part of this prayer, this uh, prayer fellowship, mm -hmm. or the prayer, excuse me, the prayer group, I guess I'm trying to say, right, right. Uh, you know, that, that, uh, that's on an email list and we pray during the week, right. you could certainly come and call me and I'd be glad to put anybody on there that, that wanted to be on there. And uh, you'd be notified of uh, different things to pray for during the week. And, uh, and I think it's a great thing for all of our people to know that, uh, well, we've got people out there praying for us, you know, and, that's great. and I just want to add one more thing mm -hmm. on that is that, uh, uh, since we've had the, the uh, been, been in the prayer ministry, we've been involved in uh, praying for a lot of people. Well, the time came for me a little while back where uh, somebody prayed for me, <laughs> and that's a whole different ball game. I'll tell you that really makes a sobering, uh, humbling feeling, and I appreciated it very much. That's great. We appreciate your your diligence and and uh, your leadership in this area. And I think it'd be great if we just uh, prayed for you and your team. That'd be okay. Okay. Great. All right. Thank you, Father, for Jerry, for the, the team that has gathered together, even the, the folks that are praying right now uh, during this service. Thank you for their, their faithfulness and their, their uh, passion to approach the living God of the universe. And God, I pray that more people would, would uh, plug in and, and join this ministry and help Jerry and help this team, and that you'd, you'd use them as a powerful force here at Christ Fellowship, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Thank you, Jerry. So the Lord Jesus, if you want to hold your finger in Ephesians chapter 6, he gives us an example how to pray. 
Matthew chapter 6. And this will be very familiar to you in this section of Scripture as, as we run into this section called the Lord's Prayer. He says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It was Martin Luther in the 16th century who really began to establish himself as a mighty man of prayer. In the preface to uh, his book on the larger catechism, he writes these words. He says, we know that our defense lies in prayer alone. We are too weak to resist the devil and his vassals. Let us hold fast to the weapons of the Christian. They enable us to combat the devil. For what has carried off these great victories over the undertakings of our enemies, which the devil has used to put us in subjection, if not the prayers of certain pious peoples who rose up as a rampart to protect us? Now, Luther continues. He says, our enemies may mock at us, but we shall oppose both men and devil if we maintain ourselves in prayer and if we persist in it. For we know that when a Christian prays in this way, Dear Father, your will be done. God replies to him, Dear child, yes, it shall be done in spite of the devil and of the whole world. Now, because Martin Luther, during the days of the 16th 16th century and the days of the Reformation, because he had established himself as being this mighty man of prayer, he said at one point that he had so much to do in the day that he had to spend three or four hours in prayer. Before the day began, because he established this reputation in Germany, his barber of all people, a man by the name of Peter Bensendorf, known as the master barber. How would you like that title? You are the master barber. He asked his friend Martin Luther, would you teach me to pray? What you have to understand about the days of the Reformation is as Martin Luther would would sit in the barber's chair, he's contemplating how he's going to communicate, how how to pray to his barber. Now, you have to remember what is happening during these days. The Roman Catholic Church is coming after Luther. They're after him, and, and some people want him dead. And so here's his barber with the straight edge, shaving his neck, right? And he's asking Luther, teach me how to pray. And so what Luther does is he says, give me some time and I'll put some thoughts together. And he responded with a short 34-page book, which he dedicated to his friend, the master barber. Here's what Luther says. He says, as a shoemaker makes a shoe and as a tailor makes a coat, so ought a Christian to pray. He says, prayer is is the daily business of a Christian. And so Luther, what he did in this little book, is he would teach his barber how to pray through the Lord's Prayer. And I'm going to share a few thoughts with you about that book, but I want to have you look in your bulletin at our Read It selection for the month of November, and it's a book entitled, A Simple Way to Pray. 
And I would say the best way to get a hold of this little book, it's a very easy book to read, is to, to get this on Amazon via the Kindle format. I believe it's five ninety nine. And it would be one of the best $6 you ever spent. You can read through this description of Luther's little book. But here's essentially how he taught his barber how to pray. Back in Matthew chapter 6, you'll remember the first words of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He would take line by line of the Lord's Prayer, and he would utter a prayer based on that short sentence. And here is what Luther writes after the phrase, hallowed be your name. Yes, Lord God, dear Father, hallowed be your name, both in us and throughout the whole world. Destroy and root out the abominations, idolatry, and heresy of all false teachers and fanatics who wrongly use your name and in scandalous ways take it in vain and horribly blaspheme it. I love that. They instantly boast that they teach your word and the laws of the church, though they really use the devil's deceit and trickery in your name to wretchedly seduce many souls throughout the world, even killing and shedding much innocent blood. And in such a persecution, they believe that they render you a divine service. Now, this is all based on the phrase, how would be your name? But Luther continues, dear Lord God. Convert and restrain them. Convert those who are still to be converted, that they may be with us and we with them. Any hallow praise to your name, both with true and pure doctrine and with a good and a holy life. Restrain those who are unwilling to be converted so that they will be forced to cease from misusing, defiling, and dishonoring your holy name and from misleading the poor people. Amen. And so he takes one phrase, hallowed be your name, and he comes up with a couple of paragraphs. And then guess what he does next? He takes the next line in the prayer and he prays line by line by line and thus teaches his barber how to pray. This is the meaning of prayer. But now move with me to the mandate of prayer. And the mandate of prayer we see in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul says, praying at all times in the spirit. And there's several things I want you to see here. First, notice that prayer is merely assumed. Prayer is assumed. It's interesting. It's it's fascinating to me that Paul, who often uses the imperative mood, that is, he will use a, 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 a device in the Greek grammar to say, this is a command. This is an imperative. He doesn't do that here. This is not listed as an imperative. It's not written in the imperative mood as he relays the importance of prayer to the Ephesians. The command to pray, mind you, is certainly a very important theme in Scripture. We see throughout the Word of God, Matthew 5.44, but I say, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's an imperative. Matthew 6, 9, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. That's an imperative. Matthew 9, 38, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. That is an imperative. Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray that you may not fall into temptation. Brothers, pray for us, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5. 
James 5.13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. But what does Paul do in Ephesians 6.18? He merely assumes that the Ephesian believers will pray. And here's the kicker. He assumes that you will pray. He assumes that I will pray. You see, prayer is assumed. But there's a second thing. Prayer is also ongoing. You remember that word prosukamai, the Greek word translated prayer. Prayer here, or the Greek word translated prayer, is written in the present tense. And it can be translated as follows. Praying continuously, praying day by day, praying constantly as a matter of habit. And this, too, is a pattern of prayer. It should come as no surprise to us because there is a pattern of prayer. There's a cadence of prayer that occurs throughout the pages of Scripture. Paul says in Romans 12, 12, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Jerry mentioned this particular Scripture in 1 Thessalonians five seventeen. Pray Without ceasing. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the great grace that was given in Christ Jesus. He's committed to praying for the Corinthian believers. Colossians 4 2, continue steadfastly in prayer. I have to skip through the multiple scriptures that I have that tell us we are to pray as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice also in verse 18. Paul says that it's a specific kind of a prayer. He says that we are to pray at all times in the Spirit. We are to pray at all times in the Spirit. Now, just to clarify, prayer in the Spirit is not some kind of subjective experience. You've heard it described as such. Prayer in the Spirit does not describe anything to do with some kind of charismatic expression. Listen to John MacArthur's explanation. He says, to pray in the Spirit is to pray in the name of Christ. To pray consistent with His nature and will. To pray in the Spirit is to pray in concert with the Spirit, who helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And who searches the hearts and knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Romans chapter 8 verses 26 and 27. Prayer is in the Spirit. But there's a fourth thing I want you to see that emerges out of Ephesians 6.18. Namely, prayer is an urgent request. Prayer is an urgent request. Paul says, praying at all times in the Spirit. How? With all Prayer and supplication. With all prayer and supplication. That word supplication comes from a Greek word that is also translated as either prayer or supplication. We see it throughout the pages of the New Testament. But this word is more than a mere prayer request. It has an urgency attached to it. There is an urgency attached to this word. This is a word that is a re- not only a request, this is an entreaty, 
right? Have you ever had someone say to you, hey, please pray for me. I'm taking a test tomorrow. You're like, all right, whatever. And you kind of forget about it. Have you ever had that happen? You know, play, pray for my aunt. She's got a, a, a something growing on her toe. You know, yeah, okay, I'll pray for your aunt. I pray for whatever it is, right? And you forget about it. Well, this, what Paul suggests here, this is an entreaty. This is, this, the, the entreaty goes something like this. Please pray for Joe Tavelli. Our friend, our brother is going into surgery tomorrow. Let us pray together that God would raise him up, that God would heal him. Let us pray for his wife, Jana, that she would be encouraged, that that she would have the, the peace that passes all understanding as she is there in the hospital with her husband. And so there's this pattern that's found in the word of God that I think you'll find very encouraging. There's a verse in Psalm 25 that says this, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall ever be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are a God of my salvation. For you, I wait all day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from old. Remember not the sins of my youth, my transgressions, according to your steadfast love. Remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Do you hear the the entreaty? This is an urgent prayer penned by the psalmist. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, we see this word translated supplication. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. There's the word with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. This morning, I want to urge you, every young man and young woman, every man and every woman, I want to urge you, every boy and every girl to cry out to God. Can we make that commitment as a church family that we are committed to crying out to God? Why? He hears your prayers. It wasn't too many years ago that I encouraged my daughter to write a letter to President George W. Bush. Abby was only about Oh, I can't remember, Jereen, eight or nine years old. And we got to talking about the president. He was going through some difficult times, you know, post 9-11. And uh, I said, well, Abby, I said, why don't you write a letter to President Bush? She said, you can do that? And I said, well, sure. She said, well, how do you get his address? I said, that's easy. You Google it. And so Abby wrote a letter and we addressed the letter and and I said, be sure at the end to, to ask for a photograph. She's like, you can do that? Like you can ask the president for a picture? And I said, well, yeah. And we put a stamp on it and put it in the, in the post office box. And I have to tell you, and Abby's not here, so we can be honest, right? I thought to myself, she'll never hear back. No one will ever read that. It was only a couple of weeks. And something comes in the mail from Washington, D.C., Addressed to Abigail N. Steele. And guess who it was from? President 
George W. Bush. And guess what was enclosed? A photograph. (laughs) Happy opens that up. She's like, President Bush wrote me a letter. I didn't tell her that his signature was stamped by his secretary, right? But it was pretty impressive. Listen, when you pray to God, the triune God, he listens. No stamp required. The sovereign God listens. He hears your requests. He hears your prayers. He hears your every supplication. Wherever you are, whatever your circumstance, he hears your prayers. There is a book by Paul Miller called Pray in Life. And I've wanted to read it for years and I've just never gotten around to it. And because I prepared for this sermon several weeks ago, I decided to purchase this book by Miller called The Praying Life, and I'm so glad I did. Here's what Miller says. He says, the only way to come to God is by taking off any spiritual masks. The real you has to meet the real God. He is a person. And so instead of being frozen by your own self-protection, talk to God about your worries. Don't be embarrassed by how needy your heart is and how much it needs to cry out for grace. Just start praying. May I encourage you to do that in your Christian life? Just pray. Cry out to God. When you're driving down the road, when you're in the office, when you're, when you're in your home, when you're, when you're Doing your hobbies. Last night it was raining. I said to Doreen, I'm going golfing. She says, you're what? I said, I'm going golfing. It's raining outside. I'm going golfing. Who are you going with? I'm going by myself. Felt horrible. I didn't call you, Doug. But I thought, no one's going to want to golf in the rain. And guess what? I didn't see one person on the golf course the whole time. It was amazing. I got drenched, but I had a chance to talk to God on the golf course. What a wonderful experience. Would you cry out to God? Tell him your needs. Tell him your desires. Tell him your struggles. Tell him about all your frustrations. Tell him about your longings. Cry out to him for healing. Run to him with with your every request. Let us run with confidence. Draw near to the throne of grace, Hebrews says, that we may receive mercy and help in time of need. We've seen the meaning of prayer. We've looked at the the mandate of prayer. Let me close with a few thoughts on the model of prayer. There was a movie that came out several years ago that starred Russell Crowe, who played a soldier by the name of Maximus. Three of you, I'm sure, have seen it. I can see some heads shaking. And Maximus is a soldier who is in the Roman army, and he's captured, and Maximus ends up escaping. And as he escapes at the beginning of the movie, he stands face to face with an enemy who attempts to wield his sword to take care of business, as it were. And this is on a a cold, frosty, frigid morning. And he goes to wield his sword and Maximus utters these amazing words. Some of you already know what he says. He says, The frost, sometimes it makes the blade stick. And he pulls his sword out and whacks this guy. And that's my, so that that is amazing. That's amazing. Listen, in the Christian life, we need to be on our guard. Look at Ephesians 6. 
Verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, Paul tells us something. He tells us, there, tells us that there are two key words. These are important aspects of prayer. First, he says, keep alert. We must keep alert. The man that Maximus looked at, he was not alert. He was not aware that the, the frost was going to make his blade stick. And he paid with his life. The Greek word translated keep alert means to be on guard. It means, brace yourself. Fair warning. Wake up! This is what the word means. Wake up! Be on alert. Let us be watchful then, Paul says, in prayer. Let us be alert. Let us be aware of the needs in our local body. Let us be aware of the needs in our community. Let us be aware of the needs in our country and all around the world. We are called to keep alert. But Paul doesn't end there. He says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance we are called to be people who persevere which means we are diligent which means we continue to do something and what we are called to do is to be diligent in prayer but pastor i've prayed for my son i've prayed for my daughter no change i've prayed for weeks i've prayed for months i have prayed for years I've been praying for a dear friend. He's one of my best friends in the world, praying for his children, that God would do a mighty work of grace in their hearts and lives. And nothing has happened yet. And so my commitment is to do what? Continue to pray. You remember St. Augustine. We've studied a bit of the life of Augustine in our class on soteriology, so great a salvation in Veritas. Augustine was a, a pagan's pagan. He was living with a woman. That was not his wife. He was living with a mistress. He was committing the sin of sexual immorality. His wife, Monica, was a committed prayer warrior. And she prayed day after day after day after day after day. No change. She would pray month after month and year after year. No change. But you've heard the story probably two dozen times from this pulpit. One day, Augustine's walking in the garden and he hears a little girl say, Tola lege, take up and read. And he picks up his Bible and he turns to Romans chapter 13 and it says, Make no provision to gratify the flesh, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And his heart was regenerated and he became the greatest thinker in the history of the Christian church. You say, how did that happen? Monica was praying for him. His mother was praying for him. Let us persevere in prayer. And Paul here gives us a specific example of how We are called to persevere. He asked that the people of God would pray for boldness as he carries out his ministry. You say, does the Apostle Paul really need someone to add that to their prayer card? I pray that Paul would have bold. He's a pretty bold guy. Well, he asked them to pray that he would be a bold deliverer of the gospel. I would ask as a personal prayer request that you would pray that same prayer for me. That I would, I would never back down. That I would always be bold. That the day I decide not to be bold would be my last day in the pulpit. And that I go sell insurance. God forbid. I ask that you would pray that whoever preaches at this pulpit would be a bold proclaimer of the word of God. We've seen the meaning of prayer, the mandate of prayer, and the model of prayer. And I want to close by giving you something very, very practical. And this is something that 
has been uh, a recent habit in my life, very recent, as a result of reading Paul Miller's book. This is ultra recent. I have tried over the years, I don't know how many different ways to keep track of prayer requests. I've done it on paper. I've done it in journals. I've done it on the computer. I've done it on my laptop. I've done it on my iPad. I have apps that you get and all the rest. And the latest thing, I, I think it's just a wonderful idea, is the idea of a prayer card. So let me give you a few thoughts. Number one, make a commitment to being a man or a woman of a prayer. To make a commitment that I will be a prayer warrior. I'm going to be a prayer warrior. And the way you do that, number two, I've already given it to you, is to make small incremental steps to being a man or woman of prayer. When you hear Luther saying, I need to pray for three or four hours every day, don't even go there. That's for way down the road. And, and maybe never, who knows? But I, I don't know many people that pray three or four hours a day. Luther was an exceptional individual. But make a commitment to praying each day. Make small incremental steps by utilizing this prayer card. Let me give you an idea of what this prayer card can look like. First of all, take a card. Put it on, I, I put it on my Evernote account on my computer. And I write the person's name. I type the person's name. And under the person's name, I think of a verse that describes what I think God would like to do in that person's life. And this is a little bit of a discipline. In fact, I, I did a new prayer card this morning. I was like, what verse should it be? And just automatically a verse popped in my mind. And so I, I type that verse in. So you have the name of the person you want to pray for. You have a verse that, that articulates what you think that person needs to do or what God wants to do in their life. And then secondly, jot down some phrases that capture your concerns for this person. Consider the big picture. Uh, how can this person influence his culture? How can this person's character make a difference in her world? How can this person's calling make a difference in his or her community? How can their faith make a difference? What is the person facing? How do I feel about this person in general? What would I like to see the Spirit of God do in his or her heart? And I think you're going to like this suggestion because anyone can do it. The smallest child can do this. Start today with three or four cards. Not 40 cards, not 100 cards, not 300 cards. Start with three or four cards. Pick three people or three situations that you can pray for. Family cards, non-Christian cards, church leadership cards, missionary cards, co-worker cards, thank God cards, worship cards. Imagine if there's probably 170 people here today. Imagine if each one of you had four cards starting today. Can someone do the math? What's 170 times 4? 680. Can you imagine if by tomorrow morning at this time, at, at noon, let's say, there were 680 prayer cards? Would God use that? I think he would. Because we're called to pray without ceasing. Jonathan Edwards leaves us with a challenge. Many of you have no doubt become familiar with Edward's famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And please don't be confused into thinking that's all Edward's focused on. Someone did a study and they found out he used the words excellency and delight far more than he ever spoke of God's wrath or hell. Edward's was an exceedingly positive person. Here's what he says as a man committed to prayer. 
Seeing we have such a prayer-hearing God as we have heard, let us be much employed in the duty of prayer. Let us pray with all prayer and supplication. Let us live prayerful lives, continuing instantly in prayer, watching thereunto with all perseverance, praying always without ceasing, earnestly and not fainting. What an example. May we commit to being a church family that is committed to prayer. And I encourage you to to talk to Jerry and to think about the possibility of joining his prayer team. What a blessing that would be both to him, to the team, and Christ Fellowship. Let's pray together. Father, so often we uh, take for granted the fact that we have access to the throne of grace. And we acknowledge it's only because of the the person and the completed work of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, thank you for the invitation to to come to the throne of grace, to to share our concerns, to share our petitions, to share our requests, and that you promise that we will receive mercy and help in time of need. God, thank you that you are a listening God. Thank you that you... You not only listen to our prayers, but you answer our prayers. And we would all acknowledge sometimes we don't like the answers we get, but we know that you are God and we are not. You are sovereign. You are the creator. We are the creatures. And so we submit to you afresh. And Lord, we accept the answers that you give us. Would you enable us as a church family? Every elder, every deacon, every member, every attender, every follower of Christ to make a commitment to prayer. And I pray that the challenge to start with with three or four cards would be on the heart of every person who's a follower of Christ in this auditorium. Where the net gain would be over 600 cards by tomorrow morning that we would be praying over and over and over, and then we begin to to see the fruit of our prayer as you hear our prayers and you answer our prayers. God, I pray that you would you would regenerate wayward sons and daughters. I pray that you would you would heal the sick. I pray that you would you would call someone to the mission field. I pray that you would prompt and enable obedience. God, I pray that you would do a, a marvelous work of grace here in our community. Use us for your purposes. Once again, equip us for the Christian life by wielding the sword and by being a people committed to prayer. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.